Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the FO News Show. My name is Kale Clinton. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jackson Roberts. And we have a jam-packed show for you guys today after a historic close to the NFL trade deadline. According to Schefter, a record 10 trades in the final day of the NFL trade window. Jackson, I I don't know where you were. I don't know how you were consuming the news, but man, that was that was a blast to follow. I mean, if this is going to be our first trade deadline covering the news together, what a way to start. I mean, it just feels like a day to remember and a time to document, and we are here to document that today. Yeah, we'll, we'll get right into it. But first, as always, We've got to shout out our friends over at Underdog Fantasy, the sponsor of today's show. Play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. You a season-long fantasy teams floundering? Play Underdog's Battle Royale, a fast six-round weekly fantasy football draft with easier chances to win than traditional daily fantasy sports sites. You could even win 50 thousand dollars if you grab first place or you could try their pick them games where you easily can pick players chances to go higher or lower than projected stat lines even in states where traditional prop bets currently aren't available underdog is the fastest growing fantasy site around join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download underdog in the app store today use promo code outsiders right now to double your first deposit up to $100. Jackson's underdog play of the week, Aaron Jones, Lions defense bad. Woo. I love it. Before we dive in to the draft, we've got some breaking news today about an hour or two ago before this show went live. The Snyder family, owners of the Washington Commanders, have officially hired Bank of America security firm in order to explore potential transactions around the sale of the team. This was first report. This was first reported by Forbes. That's a tongue twister. Earlier today, uh, there are currently about four potential suitors, uh, and at the moment, uh, according to the Forbes reporter. Snyder and his bankers are exploring all options and a transaction to be either for the entire NFL team or a minority stake. Jackson, this is the first news that we've actually gotten about Snyder even potentially considering to sell this franchise. Yeah, it's it's definitely notable. I know that this could all turn out in Dan Snyder just announcing, hey, I'm selling a 3% share in the Washington Commanders, which would certainly be a lot of nothing to come out of what seems at the moment uh, like a pretty big story. Uh, I mean, he's owned the team since 1999. He bought the team when it was worth $800 million. It's now worth $5.6 billion. If you're looking to get out of the rat race, and, and this is a guy who's currently under investigation from, uh, let's run down through the list, uh, from the NFL, from the D.C. Attorney General, and also from the United States Congress House Oversight Committee. Uh, You think maybe you want to 
get out of the biz and cash out while you can, uh, that seems like a pretty good financial opportunity to do so. I think the IRS also might have a microscope under him uh, for underreporting ticket sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spoke about Snyder a little, a uh, little under a month ago after the comments Jim Irsay made, uh, saying that the league owners potentially have the 24 votes necessary to vote Snyder out of the league. Uh, Snyder, in the last two years, has been accused of sexual harassment fostering a toxic workplace culture uh, and underreporting ticket sales to the NFL and IRS, uh, even going as far as keeping two separate books with two different sets of numbers around ticket sales. Uh, the NFL forced Snyder to give up responsibilities of the team to his wife, Tanya, in July after the investigations revolving around the toxic workplace culture. Uh, But this is the first inclination that we've seen of Snyder actually showing any willingness to sell the team. If you also remember, ESPN about a month ago put out a report saying that if he was ever, if people even thought about trying to force him out or force him to sell the team, he had already started digging up dirt on NFL owners, on Roger Goodell. Uh, basically as the poison pill saying, if you guys take me down, I'm taking a few of you with me. And not to mention witness intimidation potentially as well. Just throw that in there as like a little sprinkle. That was one more report that came out of the past month. Interesting couple of years for one Daniel Snyder. And I suppose for Tanya as well, as she is now very much an owner of the team, thanks to brute force by the NFL league office. Well, we will keep you guys abreast of any new updates revolving around the sale of the Commanders. But we've got to talk about this trade deadline because we ourselves are on a deadline and there are a lot of names to talk about. Let's start in Miami. Seemingly the biggest splash of the day, at least by trade capital standards, Dolphins acquire Bradley Chubb, linebacker from the Denver Broncos. Chubb in a 2025 fifth rounder are being sent over to Denver for uh, for a 2023 first-rounder at San Francisco's first-rounder, a 2024 fourth-rounder, and Chase Edmonds. In response to losing Edmonds, the Dolphins also trade with the 49ers for running back Jeff Wilson. This now completes the San Francisco-Trey Lance trade which has now netted Miami the trade-up for Jalen Waddell, Tyreek Hill, and Bradley Chubb. Jackson, what a haul. Let's talk about Chubb specifically, but I mean, man, when you narrow it down, that is a franchise-altering trade with trickle-down on top of it. That is a perfect example of how teams in the draft who – either already have their quarterback or in this case are not 100% sure Tua Tungavailoa is the guy, but they were giving him more time and it is paying off in the biggest possible way. That is a little bit of oversimplification, of course, on our part because there were other picks exchanged in these deals, but what a job by Miami. And from a Bradley Chubb standpoint, I mean, Chubb right now third among Ed rushers in pass rush win rate, 
uh, five and a half sacks on the season, two forced fumbles. I mean, this is a team that's uh, 29th in past DVOA right now on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, pressure has really been one of the biggest struggles for them as a defense. This is a huge addition. Chubb, of course, is an unrestricted free agent heading into the offseason, so trading him does kind of come with the tacit expectation that he should be extended out long term, which the Dolphins have also said they're going to get right on top of. Uh, I mean, this is this is a blue chipper. This is a team that has a ton of blue chippers on offense already, needed some on the defensive side of the ball. They got one. Heavy competition in the AFC, of course, but this certainly helps them in the right direction. Jo- 26 years old joins a pretty young and, dare I say, formidable uh, couple of good linebackers, also 23-year-old Jalen Phillips on the roster. Got a couple really good pieces in there. Miami's been investing at the linebacker position in the draft over the last couple of years with some day two picks. Only concern, Jackson, is there's a bit of an injury history with Chubb. That being said, when he plays in those games, he is a producer. Rookie season finished at 12 sacks and 60 tackles in 2018. The last time he played more than 10 games was in 2020. Finished just with seven and a half sacks, 42 tackles. With a team with a, you know, ranked 23rd in adjusted sack rate right now, like the Miami Dolphins. Just a massive, massive piece for them in a division that also could really need some edge rushers, could really need some defensive presence. You've seen it with, you know, how the Bills beat the Chiefs by bringing in Von Miller. You see the presence of guys like even Frank Clark coming in for the Chiefs. The way to beat these elite teams is you need that defensive pressure. And now Miami's got it. They've at least got a piece of it. They had the secondary back there. Now they've got a little bit of a presence in the front seven. It's a steep price, but this team is going all in this year. And why? I mean, they, they've made that change so quickly, right? I mean, two years ago, it was total rebuild, and now it's all our assets in the, in the pot. Let's go get a Tyreek Hill. Uh, let's go get a Bradley Chubb. I mean, this is a, this is a stacked clubhouse right now. Certainly, the fact that they're at best the third favorite in their own conference, you could argue fourth, maybe even fifth, it's definitely a swing to be taking. Uh, But if you're locking all these guys up long term, which, you know, for example, Hill definitely is, Chubb, you would think they would attempt to at least do that. It's definitely building a winning culture. But man, like beating Buffalo in that division, and even with, you know, the Jets trending upward and the Patriots being at least around 500, it's it's definitely a tough place to try and build that winning culture, but they're they're certainly trending in the right direction. Now, it seems that we're not sure what direction they're trending in because, you know, sellers early will get to some of the guys they shipped off, but a surprising buy move for the Chicago Bears bringing in Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver Chase Claypool. They're sending a second over to the Bears or or over to the Steelers in exchange for Claypool. Surprising thing to me. I mean, Claypool already going to be 
the best receiver on the Bears by default, despite <laughs> having a negative 7.7 receiving DVOA and just an 18 receiving DYAR. Just the best receiver by default. That being said, I, I wish I had the person who pointed this out on Twitter. The Bears had two second-round picks last year, refused to draft George Pickens with both of them, and now spend a second-round pick to get the guy that George Pickens made irrelevant. Uh, we've talked at length about how you know the Chicago Bears haven't quite had the receiving help to build around fields. Claypool's been the guy, but that is about as pricey a pick as you can make. It should also be noted there are separate reports saying that the Packers were involved in trying to get Chase Claypool. Maybe that's part of the overpaid Jackson, but 2023 second rounder for Chase Claypool. Two years yeah, left. It was, it was fully reported as well that the Packers were offering a second round pick as well. Maybe the funniest part of the whole story is the Bears and Packers having the same record, but the Steelers accepting the Bears offer because they think that they are still going to finish much lower in the standings than the Packers. So a, a calculated gamble there, if you will. But it's one of those rare instances, which I can remember where a team kind of publicly says, Hey, it's going to take a second rounder to get this guy. And then they actually pony up and do it. There's no meeting in the middle. That seems like a bargaining chip to me. That seems like them saying we want a second rounder. And, you know, later on they settle for a third or a fourth. They actually got it. Why? <laughs> you know, the bears, I, I, great anecdote you just brought up. They've had many chances to draft receivers, second round, first round, anytime. And, and then they make the Valus Jones pick this year. Who's older than Chase Claypool, mind you. And then they bring in Nikhil Harry, who was, I believe, also drafted before Chase Claypool. So they're taking all these swings on people that are, uh, you know, high risk already. But then let's just say, oh, let's bring in this stabilizer to the wide receiver room, our clear-cut wide receiver one, who's maybe like the 45th best receiver in the league by most of our metrics. So it's, it's definitely – I mean, first of all, I don't think it's a hot take to say it's an overpay. Uh, and if it, you know, if it gets Justin Fields some confidence, that's the one thing you can say that's a positive about this is they're certainly saying we believe in Justin Fields now. He's shown us a lot over the past few weeks. Let's go out and surround him with some actual talent. Uh, but I don't know if this is the talent that's going to put them over the top. I don't think it's putting them over the top, but I think it for the first time in a year and a third of having Justin Fields on the roster, it feels like some level of investment in the quarterback saying, hey, we're going to help you out here. Uh, Chase Claypool has had his moments this year, despite being a bit of a uh, – starting to fall out of favor in Pittsburgh is a better way of putting it. Uh, you know, he was crucial in that Tampa Bay win, had a lot of critical third downs, uh, scored one of their two touchdowns on the day. So some critical involvement there. I think it also helps that, you know, Claypool's still on the rookie deal. Got two years left on that rookie deal. So he's a UFA in 2024. They've got him for the next year and a half. It's at least something to build around, you know? It exists. The Bears haven't really existed as an offense for the past couple of years, and this is a tangible, serviceable NFL receiver, for sure. Well, getting into one of the guys the Chicago Bears traded away, Roquan Smith, 
headed over to the Baltimore Ravens. Bears will receive a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick in 2023 from Baltimore. Should be noted that the Bears gave their own pick, not Baltimore's pick, in the exchange for Claypool. But a good little (laughs) swap, I guess. Smith currently leads the league in combined tackles with 83. 52 solo eclipses all but three players in combined tackles on the Bears. Uh, Since 2018, should be noted that only Bobby Wagner has more tackles than Roquan Smith. Uh, Jackson Smith is a guy who originally desired to be traded back in August. The Bears could not uh, reach an extension with Smith. Uh, Talked about how Chicago was negotiating in bad faith. Uh, Said he had wanted to be a, you know, a bear for the foreseeable future, but ownership or front office wasn't allowing them to do that. Three months later, granted his request, Jackson. Bears bad faith? I don't see that as a possibility. Um, this bad is faith a, bears? This is certainly another one of those deals where the, I don't want to say expectation, but I think that in order to justify the cost of the deal, you end up feeling like you have to sign Roquan Smith to a longer term extension if you were Baltimore. And if you do do that, you certainly, barring any sort of injury, are getting a very, very, very good defensive player. Uh, The Ravens have notably kind of struggled in covering tight ends this year. So Smith certainly athletic enough to help out with that. The Ravens ranked 21st in past DVOA against tight ends. Uh, Patrick Queen certainly has had his struggles individually uh, in the passing game. So, yeah, I mean, this is one of those moves. uh, The Bears' defense, I don't know if they're heading in any sort of positive direction anytime soon. We'll get into the Robert Quinn deal when we talk about Thursday Night Football and the Eagles, but uh, they're certainly kind of tearing down the defense, building up the offense simultaneously. It's a weird position to be in. Uh, And if you're the Ravens, you're just trying to get better, load up for a playoff race in which you're going to be you know, at best, the third favorite in the AFC it helps to have all the weapons you can on both sides of the ball. Should be noted that if you're talking specifically coverage, Rock One Smith might not be the guy. According to Sports Info Solutions, has allowed 12 completions on 17 targets for a career high 6.5 yards per target. Does have two interceptions already, though, that ties his career high at the position. I mean, that's not bad, Kale. I mean, like. 12 of 17 completions on short passes? Like, you'll live with that. He's getting tackles. He's making picks. It's the Bears. It's the Bears. Could be a little bit of that as well. Should be noted, though, Roquan Smith joining a pretty loaded linebacker group already. Uh, You know, you got Tyus Bowser. You got Adafi Owe. You have David Tyus Bowser and David Ajabo both coming back fully reinstated, practicing with the team. You know, he's joining Patrick Queen. He's joining Justin Houston. This is a this is a loaded unit at the second level of that defense. The linebacker, really just special part of this group. This Baltimore Ravens defense that was already pretty formidable is looking like a tough, tough opponent. Final note on Rokon Smith, he's wearing number 18, which is very disappointing to me as a fan of traditional NFL numbers. Bring the 50s back to linebackers. Thoughts on Bradley Chubb wearing number two, Jackson? Don't like it one bit. 
<laughs> don't like it one bit. See, I don't like 18, but like two. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a single digit. Single digit better than like a number in the tens to teens for defensive players, but sure, still, I sure. mean, come on. Classic edge rusher be in the 50s or be in the 90s. Let's go. Staying in the NFC North for an in-division trade of a surprising magnitude. Detroit Lions trading TJ Hawkinson to the Minnesota Vikings. Comes off the heels of news that Irv Smith has suffered a high ankle sprain and is going to miss some time. Believe he was placed on the IR. Vikings sending a 2023 second-round pick and a 2024 third-round pick to Detroit in exchange for Hawk, a 2023 fourth, and a 2024 fourth. Since Hawkinson joined the Detroit Lions, no single player in Detroit has as many catches as Hawkinson over that span. <coughs> Excuse me. Currently on pace. For his best finish of the season by DVOA, top ten, uh, top ten tight end in both DYAR and DVOA this season, Jackson. A very surprising investment in div- or transaction in division, and a good investment by the Vikings in a third pass catcher. The one thing I don't understand is. Detroit's probably in a position to get a new quarterback next year. Feels like you would want to have all the best pass-catching options possible. And you're letting one of your longest-standing offensive players, one of your better guys, assumedly a leader, letting him go not just away but in division, Jackson. Yeah, it's tough. (laughs) You're going to bring that quarterback in and have him watch TJ Hawkinson streaking downfield twice a year, every year, thinking, wow, I could have had him if my team didn't just want that second-round pick so desperately. It's an interesting move. It really is. I, I love it for the Vikings. I, I understand that a second is kind of a lot to give up, but at the same time, I feel like he adds just a totally new dynamic to that offense, which, I mean, the Herb Smith injury may have led to this move, but it's such a clear upgrade over Irv Smith anyway. I mean, this is – he could even be a second option over Adam Thielen at his best, at least. TJ Hawkinson is the type of guy where, you know, if you own him in fantasy, you're kind of used to him being boom or bust. Uh, but for the Vikings, who have Justin Jefferson, who have Thielen as a very, you know, above-average wide receiver too, and who have um, Dalvin Cook, who can just dominate in the run game on any given week, this is a really nice weapon to be able to throw at a team. If they're leaving the middle of the field open, if they're consistently circling around Jeff, Justin Jefferson, that's you know it's an entirely new dimension of the offense that they totally didn't have. Um, we're really going to see if Kirk Cousins can lead a contender this year. Everything else is lining up perfectly for the Vikings, record, division, all of it. Can Kirk Cousins get it done? Kirk Cousins has done well thrown at tight ends in the past. 2020 saw three different Minnesota Vikings tight ends qualify for DVOA. Irv Smith finished eighth in DVOA. Uh, Kyle Rudolph finished 20th. Tyler Conklin finished 27th. Year prior, Kyle Rudolph finished fifth in DVOA among tight ends. Pretty good track record, and you could see the loss that 
this Minnesota Vikings offense took a little bit in 2021. You obviously have a massive emergence of Justin Jefferson, but they didn't have that tight end presence last year. They haven't quite had it this year. Uh, Tyler Con- Tyler Conklin was a good uh, stopgap, I suppose. Uh, didn't fare well in terms of efficiency numbers. They at least got some production out of him. Irv Smith, somewhat similar vote, but lower volume. This is a big ad. And this is, again, we've talked about it, you know, teams on the cusp that it's the same deal as Miami going all in on this year. The Vikings at six and one have the record to compete in the NFC. And now they're pretty loaded on the offensive end. Yeah. I mean, last couple of things to point out here. Justin Jefferson hasn't caught a touchdown since week one. Maybe this opens the offense back up for him a little bit. You'd love to see that. Also, in kind of obvious passing downs, Kirk Cousins really struggling this year. Last in EPA per drop back on second, third, and fourth downs of seven or more yards. So if TJ Hawkinson can give them another option in that facet of the game, when you know you're not just going to run Dalvin Cook down the team's throat, all for it. Speaking of loaded offenses, the Bills get another. Feels like the Buffalo Bills collecting, you know, the stones on Thanos' gauntlet. I don't watch superhero movies. I don't know what they're called. (laughs) But they do get the pass-catching running back that they have been so desperately looking for over the last few years. In Indianapolis Colts' Naheem Hines. Acquire him for practically a song, sending Zach Moss in a conditional sixth-round pick to the Colts. Hines has been pretty much a perennial backup for the Colts, first sitting behind Marlon Mack, then sitting behind Jonathan Taylor. Hasn't had an incredible season this year, but part of that is likely due to an uncharacteristically poor Colts offensive line leading to the league's worst rushing attack. Still has a pretty strong effect in the passing game, currently averaging 6.7 yards per target compared to Devin Singletary, 6.1. Feels like a really strong ad, situational ad to a Bills offense that is just looking to continue to hold its power over the rest of the AFC and NFL. Yeah, if we're doing analogies here, and and thank you, Kale, for that great Marvel analogy you provided, uh, I would liken this to just adding another attachment on the Swiss Army knife, right? You already have your scissors, your your pocket knife, and that's that's Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis. You know, maybe this is the nail file, or maybe this is the tiny little magnifying glass. It's just one more thing you can do. As an offense, uh, you know, he's sixth in receiving DYAR and eighth in receiving DVOA among running backs this season. It's not like Devin Singletary's been bad in those categories, but this is still an upgrade. And yeah, I mean, Hines, you know, he's got an out after this season, so could be back, could not. But for 2022, that's really all that matters if you're the Bills right now. You're not thinking beyond this year whatsoever. It's how can we, you know, foolproof this offense? How can we give it the most flexibility, versatility as possible? Clearly, Naheem Hines gives them at least another 
option, another little mini dimension that they can work with. Yeah, it's just situational. I mean, now you get to save Singletary's legs uh, for actual running. You can still use them in the passing game, but less, you know, more sparingly. You've got a little bit more of a consistent RB2 and a guy who's consistent or, you know, very much used to the RB2 role. Uh, just feels like another great ad. Should also be noted, Bills snuck the last trade of the day right under the wire, actually reported after the 4 o'clock window closed, traded for Atlanta Falcon safety Dean Marlowe, sent a 2023 seventh-round pick their way. Just the Bills continuing to load up. Marlowe obviously more of a depth ad. Uh, believe I saw uh, Charles McDonald on Twitter say, Surprised we got literally anything from Arlo. So tells you where they are on that. But moving on to teams that are just continuing to add those little situational pieces just to push themselves above and beyond into the toppest, the most highest echelon of the league, the toppest. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs trade for Giants wide receiver Kadarius Tony. Giants getting a Chiefs conditional third and a sixth, both in 2023. Guy has not worked out for the Giants since being drafted in 2021. Former 20th overall pick. Looks like could be a real gadget guy for this Kansas City Chiefs, if healthy, Jackson. This is a swing. This is a depth add. It's also a surprise that the Chiefs gave up what is uh, a conditional third and a sixth, both in this upcoming draft for Kadarius Tony. But we've kind of talked about this privately as well, Kale. When you have a player like Tony, when you or when you have a third round pick, for example, you'd kind of be looking for a player like a Tony in the draft, a receiver who has kind of that gadget you know, maybe wide receiver two upside, a guy who is, you know, extremely athletic and you're banking on maybe becoming more of a well-rounded pass catcher. That's what Tony, if he's on the field, we at least know he's that. We at least know that he's extremely explosive, athletic, change of direction skills on point. Uh, So as long as you can keep him healthy, which is kind of a big if given his early career history, you're looking really good. In the Chiefs offense specifically, there's the potential to unlock him even more than maybe any other offense could uh, and really kind of unleash him downfield. When you have Travis Kelsey in an offense, that kind of tends to open things up quite a bit. Patrick Mahomes can get you the ball no matter where you're standing, what direction you're going. So, I mean, this this has home run potential for sure, even though it's certainly not a, a blue chip slam dunk type of deal that the Chiefs are making. Yeah, and he is, you know, I don't think he's taking major snaps away from a Juju Smith-Schuster, an MVS, a Michael Hardman. He is he is wide receiver five on the depth chart probably, and maybe what and pass catching option seven on the roster. Uh, it is not a very deep, you know. It, this is so hyper situational uh, that it just feels like it could pay off in in just small moments but hey like we said a day two pick it's worth the swing should be noted by one man steal in the fo comment section 
calling it a lottery ticket like we have, but just listing off the injuries and absences that Kadarius Tony has had. Uh, he's missed 12 of 24 games. He's missed both training camps and offseason OTAs due to four hamstring injuries, two bouts with COVID, separate knee, quad, fingernail, ankle, oblique, and shoulder injuries in a year and a half in the league. So, again, lottery ticket about as lottery-esque as you can get. Speaking of lottery tickets, Jackson, <laughs> that is not a gambling pun. I promise. The Jacksonville Jaguars trade for Calvin Ridley. Oh. <laughs> that was bad. Yeah, <laughs> we're fine. Uh, this is a complicated trade, uh, according to Ian Rappaport. Let me rattle off how this works out. The maximum value of this trade is a 2023 fifth and a 2024 second. So 2023, if he hits by a certain date, a 2023 sixth rounder becomes a 2023 fifth rounder. And by hit, I mean is reinstated. Uh, 2024 becomes a much wider range of outcomes. It's a fourth round pick if he makes the team, a third round pick if he hits certain playtime milestones, and a second-round pick if the Jaguars sign him to a long-term deal. He's current. Calvin Ridley is currently suspended for gambling on NFL games uh, during a leave of absence he took for his own mental health. Uh, one of those games had to be, happen to be betting on the Falcons against the Jacksonville Jaguars in a parlay, <laughs> which <laughs> cruel, cruel irony that he's now with the Jaguars. Uh, but should be noted that in the three full seasons that he's played with the Falcons, uh, this does not count 2021 because of, like I said, just played five games because of a mental health absence. He's never finished worse than 21st in DYAR and 27th in DVOA. Was one of the best receivers in the league for two years straight statistically in 2019 and 2020 if this hits jackson talk about lottery tickets doug peterson says quote we're going to always look to add talent to this roster any way possible any shape or form i feel like we've done that now they've definitely made an attempt to do so calvin ridley as mentioned has not played football in over a year now will be close to two years by the time he is even eligible to be reinstated. But at his peak, the most talented offensive player we've talked about on today's show by a pretty wide margin. So if you're the Jaguars and you're sitting at two and six, five-game losing streak heading in all the wrong directions, not the worst idea to start looking towards next year. Probably a higher upside probably also a lower downside than anything that you were going to get on the open market at this trade deadline. They went for it. No one can say they didn't go for it here. It, it, it feels like a move, you know, this is a move you make in a, in like a, in a dynasty fantasy draft, you know, you take, you take a guy like him in the 15th round, you just sit on him and wait till next year. And that's when the real investment comes in. If that contract hits, that is a that is a steep, steep uh, price to pay for Ridley. But I suppose 
you're practically getting him at a discount because hey, less of- deep than Chase Claypool. <laughs> yeah, less deep than Chase Claypool. Uh, Ridley is due 11.1 million in 2023. Had to forego all of that salary though in the punishment. So if they happen to, if the Jacksonville Jaguars happen to cut him, zero dead cap it, and they save all 11.1 million dollars. He is an unrestricted free agent in 2024, though, which is where that long-term deal sort of comes into place. Moving on from the trade deadline, there were a couple more trades in there, but we've just got to hit the headlines. Moving on, Indianapolis Colts have officially fired offensive coordinator Marcus Brady. He'd been the OC since the start. Uh, Sorry, he'd been a quarterback's coach since the start of 2018, took over as OC in 2021 after the departure of Nick Sirianni. Colts currently rank last in offensive DVOA, 30th in pass, 32nd in rush, third worst in points per game behind only Denver and Pittsburgh, and were ninth in points per game last season. (sighs) Tough way to go out, Jackson. And Marcus Brady didn't exactly have the easiest job between his time as quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator. Dealt with a different starting quarterback every year on the job. And in his two years as head offensive coordinator, he was working with first-time veteran trade acquisition at starting quarterback in both scenarios. Wow. Wow. This is uh, if you're if you're Frank Reich, the past couple weeks you've been uh, emptying the clip in terms of the moves you make to save your own job. You're okay. Let's let's put the rookie quarterback in. Oh, we lost that game. Oh, let's fire the offensive coordinator. That's a that's a pretty quick transition from step one to step two. Uh, certainly, Frank Reich feeling the heat a little bit. Uh, the Colts, as mentioned, dead last in offensive DVOA. So the three, four, and one record is uh, looking even worse when you view it through the lens of how bad things have actually been and how much worse they can get. Uh, Colts, of course, go to New England this week, a game that both teams with four losses feels like a must win on both sides. And firing the offensive coordinator prior to the game certainly suggests that the Colts do not have a whole lot of confidence in the direction they were already heading. I don't know how they're going to gain that confidence. Trade away your backup running back, too. I mean, they do have a stable of running backs there. Deion Jackson's proven to be a capable fill-in, but really confusing direction for the Indianapolis Colts. The crazy thing is, you know, Colts were the centerpiece of this week's any given Sunday in their 17-16 loss to the Commanders. Sam Ellinger's first start in the NFL, he looked okay. Like, and specifically, the play calls they're calling for him, the PA bootlegs, the, you know, rolling out Ellinger into open space to create as and, you know, maximize what Frank Wright calls the secret sauce. It didn't seem that bad, but this is a results-oriented league and the negative 25.3 offensive DVOA for the Colts is on pace for the franchise's worst since 1992, 30 years prior. If that's going to, you know, 
Numbers never lie, Jackson, and that's a pretty bad number. Yikes. This is and they only have one, they only have one Texans game left, and they've already played both their Jags games. Uh, so it's even kind of a tough schedule down the back stretch, even considering the fact that they're in the AFC South and didn't finish in first place last year. I don't know how things are going to turn around for them this season. And like I said, it's it feels like Frank Reich is just desperately trying to keep his job at this point. And we'll see if there's anything he can do with Sam Ellinger and dipping deeper into the coaching staff for offensive coordinating duties. Uh, we'll see if any of that works out. Colts still have games on the road at New England, at Vegas, at Dallas, at Minnesota, and they have home games against the Eagles, Steelers, and Chargers. Football Outsiders has that ranked as the 17th hardest future schedule, but it's also coming off the 25th ranked schedule by difficulty in the league from what they've currently played. Moving on to injury news. This would have been the happiest injury news segment of the week uh, after talking for weeks and weeks about season enders, uh, you know, IR stints. We've got a lot of people coming back. Quick hits. We've already mentioned Tyus Bowser and David Ajabo. Should also mention Cordero Patterson has been activated off IR and is returning to practice. And Chase Young is activated off of the PUP. However, let's start with Buffalo activating Tredavious White. They can't keep getting away with this, Jackson. This defense, <laughs> is, some, this defense is somehow going to get even better. Tredavious White tore his ACL in week 12 of 2021 in a Thanksgiving game against the New Orleans Saints. Bills have managed to go 11-3 and in his absence, which is pretty strong. That being said, a Buffalo Bills defense that is currently top five in passing, defensive passing DVOA, also ranks 22nd against wide receiver ones. So a massive, massive add for an already pretty formidable Buffalo defense. Kelly, you you blew your... Bills adding an infinity stone to the gauntlet analogy on Naheem Hines. This is this is the soul stone right here, buddy. This is this is the guy. Uh, this completely changes the outlook of a defense that was already arguably the best in the entire league, which plays in the same building with an offense that is arguably the best in the entire league. This is also a leader. This is a uh, last two seasons he's played. He's been first team All Pro. Uh, this guy's everything. They already have incredible veteran leadership in their secondary and throughout the defense. But I mean, come on, Trey White still somehow rises above the pack. He's he's good. You know, he's really, really good at football. And I don't know if he'll play this week. Seems like it might be a next week thing. But for the Bills, it's literally just, you know, the steady climb towards the playoffs, building a little bit week after week. Even just getting Trey White back in the building, practicing with the team is a huge win. I am terrified for opposing offenses, Buffalo or nothing. It's a it's a major add, like I said, to just an already loaded defense. You, you could we could keep rattling off names, but man, that's quite the add. Now it's not all positive news this week. 
Cincinnati Bengals cornerback Chidobia Wuzier out for the season. Suffered a torn ACL against the Cleveland Browns on Monday night. Was playing pretty impressively last year. Uh, I had touted him as uh, the best value contract on the Cincinnati Bengals. Very relatively low deal. Was touted as a backup in a pinch. Had become a really strong starter. And now up until Monday night's game, no one on the Bengals' defense had played more snaps than him. He was tied to Jesse Bates at 477 for the most snaps on the defense. Just a tough way, tough, tough way for a Wuzier to go out on a defense that could certainly use his talent. Absolutely. I mean, you kind of looked at Awuzie and Jesse Bates as the leaders of this defense, especially in the secondary this was shaping up to be a career year for Awuzie. He was allowing just a 38% completion rate this year and had not allowed a touchdown in coverage to go with eight pass breakups. So it goes to show you that in, you know, when you're looking at defensive stats, especially for corners, it's not all about just raw number of interceptions. This was a guy that was having a major impact in just the shutdown role uh, and is now no longer there. Uh, for a Bengals team that could ill afford to lose bodies on that side of the ball when you saw how their offense looked in that Monday night game in the absence of Jamar Chase. Um, we don't know when he's coming back, but we know Awuzie is done for the year, and that is a tough pill to swallow. Optimism on the Bengals this year, Kale, has just been an absolute roller coaster. Yeah, from week to week, it goes from we're down and out through week two, our offensive line's in shambles, to, okay, we got a couple wins, to, oh, okay, now the Chase Burrow thing is fully back. This is why we like the Bengals at the start of the year to, oh, dear, is everything falling apart? It's It's been a really interesting year to follow and cover that team. Justin, just an absolute roller coaster of emotions is an understatement, Jackson. Should be noted, they've got five corners on the roster, but no one has played as many snaps. As a Wuzier. Only Eli Apple and Mike Hilton have played more than 100 snaps at cornerback this season for the team. Moving on to Thursday night football. We've got the Philadelphia Eagles against the Houston Texans. We're not done with trade deadline news. One last one of the books we got to mention the Philadelphia Eagles landing Robert Quinn of the Chicago Bears. Comes right off the tail, few weeks removed from Philadelphia Eagles losing defensive end Derek Barnett. Torres ACL done for the year. Eagles already ranked third in ESPN's pass rush, pass rush win rate and eleventh in adjusted sack rate. A pretty impressive ad and a hat tip to Howie Roseman. Just what a year. Of the- <laughs> One of the best GMs in football acquiring Quinn for a fourth-round pick and still managing to somehow have six picks, including two first-rounders in this year's draft. First of all, let me say that I am so glad that this was the deadline acquisition that Howie Roseman decided to make instead 
of putting a first round pick on the table in exchange for Alvin Kamara, as was rumored across NFL social media platforms. I, I just love this move. I mean, the Eagles, they have kind of a mix of veterans and young guys on the defense. You lose a Derek Barnett, who's definitely more on the veteran side. You bring in another veteran to replace him. It's just a team that has an identity already on both sides of the ball, and he fits that identity to a T. And he's not played on a winning team in quite some time, so he's going to be very hungry on a team that's uh, kind of Super Bowl favorites in their conference, at least. And let's, I mean, let's talk about what this does. I mean, just for, like, it, I, I want to go back to the Camara thing real quick because they were they were rumored to be doing that. They have a good running back in the building. Miles Sanders, basically, like, he's been the top 10 running back in terms of all of our objective measures so far this year. Now he gets to play against the Texans on Thursday night, who are the dead last DVOA team against running backs this season. He's going to shred them. So I just, I just love kind of the confidence that uh, the de- the trade deadline that the Eagles had, I think, instills in their team. Just another team looking to separate themselves in the upper echelon of this team, adding a incredible veteran player to the number two ranked dvoa defense they do lose a piece though jordan davis dealing with a high ankle sprain currently he's played 33 percent of the team's defensive snaps it's been a little situational for him this season but he's been a very very exciting prospect for this philadelphia eagles team a tough loss at d tackle for a team that has really struggled in a run defense currently ranked 22nd in defensive rush dvoa yeah, it really goes to show how much the pass game matters, and especially in terms of defensive DVOA, because the Eagles, second in pass DVOA, 22nd in rush, that still equates out to second overall. Um, but when you lose kind of your, your run stopper, your middle plugger, that certainly is still cause for concern. Um, Philadelphia, like, it's, it's such a deep defense, but it's also like this guy was – expected to be such a big piece for the future was already growing uh it's not like he we don't know how long he's lost for and he's certainly not guaranteed to be out for the season by any means i think what this year is teaching us is that high ankle sprains are kind of the most nebulous injury to deal with between mac jones herb smith and now this it's like it could be a two-week injury it could be five it could be ten we just have no idea um and certainly when you're putting as much weight on an ankle as Jordan Davis is, you want that thing to be healthy before you put him back out there. And we're still early enough in the season to where you don't expect him to just be gone. Uh, but definitely a tough blow for the defense. Although I do not think that beating the Texans will require his services. Hey man, Damien Pierce, good running back. You never know. But again, I do agree. Especially a guy as situationally useful as Jordan Davis at the moment, until he becomes that every down DT, let him rest. You know, these are these are injuries caused by over-aggravation, uh, especially, you know, putting weight in the wrong places can really aggravate these things, and the stomping and the driving of the defensive tackle position is probably going to aggravate that a lot. you got to let that settle. Moving over to Houston. One name we did not see get moved on trade deadline, 
It's Houston Texans wide receiver Brandon Cooks. Apparently, the contract that he had signed was an obstacle in trade negotiations. He signed a two-year extension with the Texans this summer, yet to kick in. It's an $18 million base salary per over the cap, a $26 million cap hit. Loaded deal. (laughs) Cooks has had his fair share of trades. Couldn't get that last one to tie him with Eric Dickerson for all-time recorded trades, Jackson. I'm personally in the camp of free Brandon Cooks. I think he'd be a major asset on a lot of teams. Couldn't get it done this week, though. No, and and Brandon Cooks was none too happy with uh, not being dealt. There was a rather cryptic tweet sent out from the account at Brandon Cooks yesterday at 4.03 p.m., so three minutes after the trade deadline. Uh, We don't know for sure what it's referencing, but we can take guesses. Uh, It says, quote, don't take a man's kindness for granted. Covered for the lies for too long, those days are done. Cross the line playing with my career. Bow and arrow emoji. Uh, I don't know how that translates to the Texans attempting to shock the world on Thursday night, but something tells me it is not good. It can't be great, Jackson. (laughs) It can't be great. If you're looking at this from a positive standpoint, I believe that Houston sports fans would more than gladly trade a drubbing at the hands of the Eagles on Thursday night for a comeback win in the World Series against the Phillies. So best of luck with that, I suppose. Should be noted before we end on this one that Brandon Cooks is on pace for the worst start to his career or or potentially just his worst season of his career. At minus 14.1% DVOA, he's 50th in the league among wide receivers in receiving DVOA. Cooks has never in his career finished with a negative DVOA. Came close in 2019 when he finished with a flat zero. He's never been negative, let alone almost 15 points below league average, Jackson. Now, it's, you know, it's been a very, very interesting career. Just uh, like at 21, 22 years old, when Brandon Cooks was with the New Orleans Saints, he was, I mean, it seemed like he was the next great Saints receiver. And the trade from New Orleans to New England was kind of a shock. And everywhere he's been since then, it seems like he does nothing but put up stats. And yet his trade value still kind of shoots down and he get, he keeps getting moved around and to think that he's somehow now found a home in Houston just doesn't seem to sit with like he's progressively gone from better teams to worse teams and it's it's very confusing. Yeah, not not necessarily worse teams. He could have been a major factor on that New England team in the Super Bowl against the Eagles had he not gotten maybe one of the most violent concussions I've ever seen in a football game. For sure. Uh, you know, then immediately went to the Rams, who lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Uh, and now he's now he's on the worst team that he's been on. But the other situations haven't been that bad. That'll about do it for us this week. A loaded FO News show. 
on this fine Wednesday afternoon. Want to give a shout out to our friends at Underdog again. Sponsor this week's show. You can use promo code Outsiders to double your first deposit up to $100 at underdogfantasy.com or on the Underdog app in the App Store. Jackson, I don't know how many more days we'll have with this much news, but man, was it a good one. I'm glad I got to break it down with you. Absolutely. I mean, like, what else can we say? It's what we want to do. This is this is the type of week we want to come out here. We don't want to talk about the fifth string corner on the Houston Texans, you know, suffering a high ankle sprain. This is this is the kind of stuff we want to break down. Teams attempting to change their futures. We love stadium news. We love uniform news. But I mean, this is news news all week long. Best guy I could think of to cover it with. The juicy details of the NFL's biggest moves, coupled with some of the most in-depth statistical analysis you'll find anywhere you can catch it every wednesday at 1 p.m over on the fo youtube and twitch channels you can catch the vod after on youtube you can catch it in podcast form over on the fo podcast network we'll see you this time next week same as always for jackson i'm kale thank you very much for listening